0: Good morning, Northside. Uh, I ask that you would take your Bibles and turn to Haggai chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11 this morning. As you're turning there, let me ask this question of you. What does Robin Williams, Marilyn Monroe, Kurt Corbain, Vincent Van Gogh, and Ernest Hemingway have in common? These are all people who seemingly had it all in the world— fame, and fortune, but these individuals all took their own lives. Jim Carrey, in a speech to graduating uh, seniors from a college, gave this quote, I wish everyone would achieve their dreams, their wealth, and have fame, because then they would find out that these never satisfy And then he asked this question, would I still be enough if no one ever laughed at me? See, it's a thing that all of us kind of work through. We're asking questions of how do we find satisfaction in this world? And so this is part of Haggai's concern in this passage. And he asks us to consider our ways. And so we're going to look at verses 5 through 11 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, for you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I might take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. For you look for much and behold, it came to little and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why declares the Lord of hosts because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, and the hills on the grain, the new wine, the oil on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are painfully aware that there are many people who have what we think Everything in this world, they have money, they have fame. And yet, Lord, there is still something so very, very empty. And so, Father, we come to you because you are the only one who can provide our satisfaction and hope. And so, Father, we do ask that you would open the scripture and make it come alive to us, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to apply us. And Lord, that we would be changed. So, Father, this morning, allow us to truly heed your words. That we would consider our ways. And that we would run to you and not from you. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So as we look at this passage, we're going to be seeing first the self-evaluation that comes about as we look at verses 5 through 6. Then we're going to see how we can have true satisfaction in the Lord in verses 7 through 8. And then we have the opportunity to see how God lovingly disciplines us in verses 9 through 11. So verses 5 through 6, we begin to talk about a self-evaluation. For what Haggai is telling us when he tells us to consider our way is to reflect. And so for us to reflect, the first thing we have to do is Stop. We're all a part of the rat race. We all say that we don't have time to do this. We don't have time to go back and and take a moment. But however, God always puts us in a place and the coronavirus is that stop for many of us. It's an opportunity for us to look at as part of it as a blessing. It's a time for us to stop, think, and reflect upon our lives. It gives us some downtime. And as we do that, Haggai tells us to consider our ways and we should ask the question so what is most important in our lives and hopefully it becomes very clear to us as we ask that question of what are those things that we hold dear to and it should also make us ask the questions are what are the things that have become for us our foundations the things that we stand upon the things that make us who we are because the reality is a lot of us are asking the question what is success what is it i know the definition that comes from the dictionary it says it's accomplishment of an aim or purpose and so a lot of ways we could say that it's every time that we accomplish a goal we have been successful but most people when they ask what does it mean to be successful in life they're really talking about have I made it in regards to fame and fortune and looking at what the culture has to say. David Brooks, in a talk for Ted, said this, should you live for your resume or your eulogy? And his understanding is, is we've been created to really put an emphasis on our resumes what we do, what we accomplish. But the reality is, is we should be living for our eulogy. What is the things that are most important? Or what are the things that we love the most? What are the things that stand the test of time? And he begins by defining this eulogy as something where we love, where we redeem, and we return to the world. And so it's this understanding with success that we begin to ask the questions, are we looking for success in the world? Or are we looking for success in the spiritual understanding? See, the world tells us to seek after things and to put ourselves as number one. However, if we're looking for the spiritual things, we seek after God and we begin to minister to others. But even the people of God forget and that's the purpose of Haggai. So Haggai in these verses of five and six tell us, he says, hey, consider your ways for you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Now, as I did this study, um, people see this in different ways. Some people see it as uh, poor people uh, we try to do things, but we, we never have enough. But there's also other people who take a take in saying these were people who were rich. People who came back and they're in their paneled houses and they've, they've been able to have plenty of money. And so it, it, the point is, is that we're never satisfied. Because satisfaction in a lot of ways is an illusion. We know the, the famous thing from John D. Rockefeller when he was asked the question. And this is someone who at the time was 1% of the whole nation's wealth. And they asked the question, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. We're never satisfied. Derek Thomas gives this quote. If you spend your entire time seeking your own interests and nurturing your own welfare, in the end, you will discover that it does not satisfy. It's never enough. It's never enough for the poor, so we can say, "Hey, we're we're trying really hard, but we just we don't give the get the breaks that the rest of the world gets." If God would just allow us to have the opportunity, if only, then I would be someone. It's the reality of where I was very much in in Cocoa Beach growing up and feeling like a poor white person in a very rich city. Um, feeling like it was wrong that I had to go to work at the age of 16 to pay bills for my family so that we can keep the lights on and have food on the table. Why did my dad have to leave when others had their dads at home? There's always a constant comparing. Why doesn't he take care of me? Why doesn't he give me more than what I have? And so it was a struggle for me in Cocoa Beach because there's definitely a lot of people who had way more than I could ever dream or imagine. But it was a gift in this perspective. Even though they were rich, even though they had plenty of monies, they still struggled because it was never enough. So my friends might have had surfboards that were $600. Why I bought a cheap used surfboard for 50 bucks, but it never answered any of their great needs. They too had families where there were struggles. We should ask the question behind the doors, what's going on in many families' lives or people who seemingly have it all together? There's things like bulimia, anorexia, alcoholism, debt, unhappy marriages, drugs, depression, lust, sadness. So it doesn't matter whether you have nothing or if you have it all, we realize that it never satisfies. So what Haggai does, he says, hey, you've, you've tried all these things and you know it doesn't satisfy. So he gives to us in verses 7 and 8 the reality of what it is that gives us true satisfaction. And he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I might take pleasure in it and that I might be glorified, says the Lord. So we have this understanding where, again, God says, I know that you're you're rebellious people. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 2, and looking at verses 12 through 13, this is what the prophet says. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils, They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewned out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, it's typical of us to to go and to take things that are living and giving like the fountain of living water. We take God for granted. We take him and we set him aside and we would rather do it in our own power. And so what do we do? We dig a cistern. We dig a hole thinking that we're going to collect the water that runs off. And instead of going to the fountain, we dig these cisterns and they're broken and that water keeps seeping through the ground and it's never enough. And so we, we have this rebellious state, and the reality is we're the only part of creation that does rebel. I remember the story from R.C. Sproul where he's talking about where they're taking the ark, and the ark, um, they're doing it inappropriately, and they're not doing it the correct way, and they've put it on to the cart, and they're going through a stream, uh, a bed of the stream. And as they go, it begins to rock and stumble, and so the, the priests put out their hand to steady the ark. And God cuts them down. He kills them right at that moment. And the reality is that R.C. Sproul brought it up and he says, we're, we're shocked by that. This guy was doing a good thing. No, we were supposed to carry the ark a certain way and we decided to do it and create it to be easier for ourselves. And so we changed up what God told us. And when we touched the things that are holy, God killed us. And he said, it's only man who has the audacity to think that we're cleaner than dirt. Dirt does what it's supposed to do. Dirt glorifies God by the way it was created. It always fulfills its goal. It's always glorifying God. We're the only part of creation that looks at God and says, no, or in this case, wait till I'm ready. We know that All of creation is crying out if you turn to Romans chapter 8. We hear how even the creation longs. It says in verse 19, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And in hope, Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So again, we we recognize that even creation is waiting to be freed. He's waiting for us to come to a place of repentance. Because the reality is a lot of us need to turn our backs on apathy and indifference. A lot of times we just don't care. There's been many people that I've had an opportunity to talk to and especially during this time period, I'm asking them questions about how are they doing in their, their personal walks. And what scares me is that a lot of the young people that I've talked to in our neighborhood and different places are saying, I just don't have time. I just don't care. And so we're apathetic, we're indifferent to the things of God, but we also a lot of times show uh, no remorse for our sin And sometimes we're just sorry. We're sorry that we got caught in the midst of our sin. But true repentance shows up in action. And God told them very clearly, what do you need to do? Go and get the wood and bring it back and build my temple. See, repentance is that 180 degree turn. It's us going after our own way. And when we repent, we turn back and we seek after God. We go after what he has called us to do. There's this quote from Richard Phillips and he says, we must do what we can and then God will do what we can't. See, he, God told the people, go up and bring down the wood. God though is the one who will build the temple he'll provide the things that we cannot provide and why does he do this all for his glory and honor see the reality is though is that most of us can say and they have been saying we can get along just fine without the temple it's been in ruins for years we've come back we've started the process but for at least the last 15 years it's laid in ruins we can do just fine without the temple And let's make application to ourselves. Many of us can say in the same way, I can get along quite well without God. I'm doing okay on my own. And the last thing I need to do is to have all of the rules. See, the reality is, as many people like we saw last week with Laodicea, we think we're okay. We think we're rich. We think we have it. And yet God says we are poor. We are helpless, helpless without God. See, we, the reality is we need in our call to worship and serve the living God. Because why? Because all the idols we seek after are lifeless. And when we begin to seek after God and to give him glory and honor, at that point, we become most satisfied that's why Haggai tells us to consider our ways. We need to stop neglecting the ministry because if we stop, if we continue to neglect the ministry, we're always going to be frustrated. I have a weird thing that that happens to me uh, when I wake up, and I, and I don't usually have an alarm, and I don't definitely don't wake up to a radio or anything like that, but I always wake up with a song in my head. Now, sometimes it's uh, eighty. Uh, rock bands. It could be uh, weird things. But this morning on this day, when I was to preach, the song that was in my head was, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And hear these words, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his face. And all these things that we run after will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. John Piper, I think, says it well. as He said, God's glory and man's satisfaction are never opposed. We are only satisfied when he is the most glorified. So Haggai has confronted us He's told us where we find our true satisfaction, but then he also tells us that God is a loving God, and sometimes God has to discipline us. Verses 9 through 11. He says, You look for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. See, the reality is, is that when we sin, there are consequences. And we have to realize that God is active. He is someone who is alive and well. And he interacts with his world and with his people he isn't that great clockmaker who just created things, wound it, and left us to ourselves. He is active with us. And as he's active with us, he brings sometimes judgment. And so Haggai reminds us that, again, God will sometimes blow away and frustrate our plans. We can have all the greatest things in all the world, but if it's something that directs us and takes us away from God, he has the ability and the right to blow it away and frustrate our plans. Now, it doesn't mean that every time that we run into something hard that God's out to get us. We know that very clearly because what he tells us in scripture, there's not always a direct connection between God's uh, discipline and the reasons why we go through trials and tribulations. If you remember the blind man in John chapter 9, this is how God talks. Remember the disciples are asking, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but listen, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. For me, we must work the work of of him who sent us while it is day for night is coming when no one can work. So here it is, this, the understanding that sometimes God brings discipline or allows us to go through trials and struggles and tribulation because he wants to show his works of God that are displayed in us. Are you displaying the works of God? Even in the midst of these struggles and hardships, even though we're going through the hard times, we're we're tired. We, we're tired of this. We want the normalcy to come back. But in the midst of that, are we showing forth the works of God? Because, again, the reality is God disciplines those that are part of his family. When you are disciplined, it shows that we're part of the family. And he brings about correction and rebuke. He disciplines us. He doesn't punish us. He's not a God that brings about pain, hurt, or revenge. This is not a situation where God is getting us. All of God's discipline comes from a loving, perfect father so therefore it's a perfect love Matthew seven eleven says this if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him God is perfect and good and he knows that we have been given something and he knows we can't handle it on our own but he's not given us something that we cannot endure He himself gives us something that creates us to be men and women of character, people who hope in the truths of what God has given us. And so God in his love never gives up on us, but he also never gives into us. And that's a loving God. And we understand that as parents. We understand that even as children a lot of times. We know that our parents never give up on us. They're the ones who should be the greatest supporter But they're also those who don't give in to every whim that we have. They know the things that need to happen in our lives so much more with God and us. So then the question becomes to us through Haggai is how will we choose? Will we choose our kingdom or will we choose God's kingdom? See, a lot of us choose hate. And again, it's just reality that, again, a lot of people within our world hate their families. They hate their parents. They hate discipline. And they like it, things to be about themselves. They like ease and comfort. And so they're willing to say and go to different places and try to find different families. Try to find places where they can do what they want to do, how they want to do it, when they want to do it. And they think somehow they have reached the pinnacle that they have now become or find themselves in a place where they can do whatever they want and they can become successful. But the reality is, is God tells us that we're supposed to be about love. Loving him and loving one another. And we do that in such a way that the reality is we we get it. It's not easy. A lot of times it's, it's hard. It's hard to forgive those who've hurt you it's hard to to walk through difficult circumstances it's hard to do this but God tells us to love him with all of our heart soul mind and strength because he's good he's perfect and he's perfectly loving to you and then we love other people we love all those around us but more than anything we want to do God's bidding we want to be about his purposes So I hope none of our lives end up like Robin Williams and Kurt Cobain, Vincent Van Gogh, Marilyn Monroe, where we would find everything that we've ever desired here on earth ultimately defined that it never satisfied. But may we say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's my hope. That's my prayer for all of us, that we would say, As for me and my home, we will serve the Lord. For there is where we find hope and fulfillment and satisfaction that never fails. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, as we've come to this time, Lord, as we've sought the things of this world, and Lord, it it really does seem like we need those things. Bigger houses, nicer furniture, newer cars, better vacations, better schools, better careers, better retirements. And yet, Father, you have told us and we've seen and we've experienced in this world that when we reach those pinnacles, it's never enough And never satisfied. There's always a longing for more. And so, Father, allow us to take the words of Haggai and allow them to confront who we are and what's most important, Lord, that we would hear your words and consider our ways. And, Father, as we consider our ways, Lord, that we would find that our true satisfaction, the only thing that can satisfy us is when we repent and run back to you where we have a relationship with the perfect father where we understand what true love really is and we understand the greatest purpose is to go to heal the sick to set captives free and to preach the good news father may we truly Answer with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, hear our prayer and answer as you see fit. For we pray this in the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.